Man, we're gonna we're gonna have a good time this morning. <laughs> have a lot of a lot of scripture. This is a definitely a, a multifaceted message here, um, but we're going we're gonna cover First Thessalonians chapter four, and we're gonna go to verse twelve. So chapter one, verses one through twelve. Let's go ahead and read that. Uh, I'm, I'm I know I'm mixing things up on you, Jose, a little bit. Um, but let's read the full 1 through 12, and then we'll jump in. We'll pray, and then we'll um, parse this out here. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave uh, you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but who? But God, who also had given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed to do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, and that ye study to be quiet, and to do your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we thank you for your word, a more sure word of prophecy. Father, we turn to the Bible during these uncertain times. We turn to the Bible during certain times. We always turn to the Bible. Your word is a sure word. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. Father, the innermost part of our being is reliant on the word of God to teach us, train us, educate us about ourselves, and to direct us in all matters of faith and practice. And so, Father, we turn to your word in a, a very direct passage this morning. Father, I pray that no one would receive this message as an attack, but as, but as truth, as, Father, a message for today, something that will lead them and guide them to a better place, the will of God. Father, your will. I, pr I pray, Father, that you would remove barriers, Father, that you would just speak through me. Help me to not say the things that I shouldn't and say the things that I should that you would have me to say. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So uh, if I had to, like, take the whole message today... And, and, and by the way, if, if you're visiting today, that's what I forgot to say. If you're visiting today, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're not into the smartphone thing, uh, you can uh, fill out a visitor card, a connect, connect card is what we call it, right out there in the lobby uh, where those two boxes are and drop that in the box uh, before you leave so that we have record of your visit and we can follow up with you. Uh, we send you a $100 gift card to Starbucks and uh, 
Okay, maybe not, uh, but it will be a postcard. Um, might not have much monetary value. If you can get the stamp off, maybe reuse it. Um, but anyway, uh, so uh, we would just love to, to reach out to you and, and uh, love you through that. We're not doing our, our VIP stuff as of yet. Hopefully soon, uh, maybe after the election, we'll be able to do that. But anyway, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm full of it this morning. But all that being said, if you hit our website, simplybethlehem.org, uh, right there on our website, boom. It just says first time visiting, click that and fill out that form and that's a way to do it uh, without, um, you know, touching anybody or anything. And there's hand sanitizer for your drinking pleasure in the lobby, just kidding. Uh, But all throughout our facility, uh, we want you to stay safe and mask up if you, uh, when you get up and move about uh, so that folks feel comfortable and can come and be here even with uh, compromised immune systems. We had a great early service. Uh, We had a good crowd. And uh, an even greater crowd here. I'm excited. I'm baptizing my daughter today. Isn't that neat? Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm going to hold her under. Make sure her faith is good and solid. And bring her up. No, just kidding. She's waited a long time. Uh, and we, of course, our baptistry has been broken. And so a church planner friend of mine, I'll get to the message in a minute. I'm stalling. I really am. It's thick. It's weighty. You'll want me to stall. Jen, thank you. Give Jen a hand. Thank you so much. Our worship coordinator, man, she does a lot behind the scenes and then in front of people as well, bringing me my coffee with this wonderful Ray Dunn mug that says what? Pray. All right. This is what you're going to need to do after today's message. Just pray about it, okay? Don't hate me. (laughs) All right. What was I saying? Rainy. uh, Baptism. It's been broke. So um, we, we figured out, we thought it was the heater, but then we replaced the heater. It's like a special baptistry company that makes heaters for that. And so we found it in Illinois, found out it's been installed for a very long time. We put a new one on and we realized that the reason why the heater was broke is because the pump that's below the heater quit pumping water into the heater and that's why it broke and overheated. So then we had to go on search for a pump uh, to fix that. So literally we've pretty much, this is Cody's like second week on staff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and he was like buried back in there. Uh, so we did some plumbing this week and praise the Lord, our baptistry is working. Honestly, a little too good. It's pretty much a sauna back there. So if, if Rainy hollers when she goes to get in, we, we might need to, somebody go get the ice. We'll cool it down. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm excited to baptize my daughter. These are cool moments as a pastor. Um, but anyway, all right, I've stalled long enough. So today, if I were to <laughs> summarize this message, uh, and the content, just by reading this text, uh, you should know uh, that it's, it's, it's going uh, it, to be a rough one, just so you know. You know, there's some texts that talk about loving one another, and they're just really easy to preach nowadays. Yeah, just love each other. Just, man, it's so good. And, and then there are other texts that are a little bit more difficult and challenging to preach into this culture. Why? Because uh, our culture is just radically shifting and changing and going with every whim and uh, I, I think of a verse that talks about going with every wind of doctrine, right? Uh, who, who you hung around this week is your new belief system. Who, who your new friend group was. I had dinner this week with this person, and then you're just like a totally different person. Why are we that way in our culture? Typically, we are, we, typically we've been a nation that's been pretty solid. Typically, we were a nation that was founded on something. Therefore, we build upon that. But nowadays, it's like, and I'm not doomsday, I'm just saying, like, and trust me, my wife and I, like, we are, it is our personal responsibility to raise our children. And so I'm not saying all children, like, our children, we are steeping them in the word of God and 
well, that's indoctrinating. Sure, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'll put what, what this says up against any philosopher of any day, uh, any day of the week up against it, because uh, we know that the word of God is true. But anyway, my, my point is, is our foundation has shifted. Our foundation is, is sand for the most part. And so when we talk about these passages of scripture that directly affect how we're doing life as a culture, we have a choice to make. And, and so today you're going to have a choice. I'm being real with you. Like it's going to be a decision. I'm going to accept that. I'm going to receive it and I'm going to make a change or I'm going to pick up the remote and I'm going to hit pause on that in my life. So this is the, the, the illustration Man, that's a pretty dirty remote. Maybe I could have picked a cleaner one. I just kind of found a non-working one. <laughs> anyway, all right, uh, hopefully this has been sanitized. But um, anyway, so if I, if I were to talk about the message in one sentence, if, if I were to summarize the whole thing up, it would be this, letting it play out. Letting it play out. Say it with me, letting it play out. Turn to your neighbor and say, let it play out. All right, yeah, that's right. Tell your wife, just let it play out, honey, okay? <laughs> I'll try to keep anonymity here, but I have three children, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I love them all dearly and the same. Uh, how many have favorites? Come on, let's just talk about the elephant in the room. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love them all the same, <laughs> except my favorite one. But no, uh, <laughs> you know, different ones are just like different. You know, some are more like the wife, some are more like the husband. You have your favorite. No, just kidding. Love them all the same. There's one of my children in particular that she constantly... I'm keeping anonymity. I am. I'm not saying it. I'm doing good. I do this for my wife. If I say names, she gets mad at me because I'm always talking about her favorite. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> so um, wouldn't be mine because that one acts like me. Anyway, uh, so there's one child in particular. She is a lot like you, to be honest. No, she, oh, no, just kidding. Uh, this child, she always has the remote in her hand. And, and so the, we, we, tr we try to control you know, and speaking of control, uh, anyway, we try to control, like, the amount of television that they consume, uh, the amount of shows. We're very careful with what we let them watch, what we log into on TVs and have around, which, and I think you should, too. Uh, there's definitely folks out there that are ready to educate your children with all the things that they want them to know. So I think we should be, as parents, just as vigilant as everyone else, like Disney that's trying to uh, teach our children the, the way of life of, of Disney. Anyway, so I say all that to say, uh, they, they know they have their little you know, shows that they're allowed. So don't think we just say, all right, go watch whatever. But she's, my wife's very careful uh, with balancing so they don't get too much screen time. But anyway, nonetheless, when we need some time, when we got to get some stuff done, when she's ready to do laundry or whatever, it's like, hey, go watch a show, right? And so it was funny. We had one of those moments this week. Hey, go watch a show. And so they're all herding down to the basement. And one child in particular, she was ready for a snack. And she came up the stairs, and I noticed in her hand was the remote. And I thought to myself, well, that wasn't very nice. You have two other siblings downstairs who are and may have need of that very remote, but you want to make sure that you are in what? Control. You want to make sure that you maintain that status, and whoever holds the remote has the control. Especially nowadays. I mean, TVs, you can't even, they don't even have, do they have buttons? It's like, you try to find the button, where is that at? You know what I mean? I mean, God forbid you have to actually change the input or something. You're like an hour just looking for this button. So you need the remote. And so this, this child in particular, I said, 
to that child, gender neutral, I said to that child, what are you doing with that? And all she did was smile. She just smiled. She knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly what she had. And she knew what type of control she had holding on to that remote. And it just hit me, letting it play out, letting it play out. I thought about the text, what we're about to get into, and I thought, letting it play out. This is what we do. We enter into a relationship with the Lord. And whatever's on the screen for us to do at that minute, at that moment, whatever's next in the queue, we just want to be able to stop it and start it. Hey, I'm in church. Go. I'm at work. Pause. And then you do your thing. This is the great, greatest picture for the week, for me, of sanctification. Paul is trying to tell them, let it play out. Don't be the one that has to hold the remote. You see, I've come to you and I've explained some things to you for a purpose. Look at verse number one. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that you have received us, how ye ought to walk and to please what? God. Paul said, I came, I delivered a message to you so that you can please the Lord. And then you're going to go on and pick up the remote? Then you're going to go on and call the shots? I, I came to you and remember, and if, and if you are struggling with context of where we are in this passage, I don't have time today because i got a lot of content i got to talk about today. Uh, but there's all of the, the chapters before this one are all online on our YouTube channel. Go back and listen to those messages leading up to this message. Like last week's message on suffering. Very important, very vital to understand where we are today, but I don't have time to cover it. So go back on our YouTube channel. We have a podcast now that's up to date. Praise the Lord, we have people on staff now. Um, so the podcast is actually up to date. The YouTube channel is up to date, and those will be up to date moving forward. So go back and listen to those messages. But today's message is this. Paul said, look, I came to you, church at Thessalonica, for two to three months. I wasn't there long, but I was there long enough to let you know that there's a purpose for you. And I gave you that purpose and there's, there's a challenge that, that, that you're having, and that's this word of sanctification. So look there, uh, verse number two, for you know what commandments he gave. We're just walking through the text here. We gave you those commandments by the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the other thing. What I'm going to tell you today isn't negotiable. It's a commandment. What Paul is about to deal in, what Paul is about to bring to the surface, he's saying, look, I brought it to you so that you can please the Lord. And this is a commandment. This is, this is, this is something that you have entered into a covenant, and it's vitally important that you carry it out because it's a commandment from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number three, for this is the, say those next words with me, will of God. I can't overstate this. I talk, a lot of people want to know about the will of God. You know what I mean? Like, does anybody, if you've been around church a while, you know, it's like, you know, what's the will of God for my life? Has anybody ever heard anybody say that? Anybody? How many wonder what the will of God is for your life? Anybody? Okay. Well, here it is. Your sanctification. The will of God for your life is your sanctification. And so if there's a question mark, understand the first two verses. He's like, I have already told you, and it's a commandment. And it's a commandment because this is God's will, that it play out this way. So, like, we have to pause. <laughs> we have to pause here for a moment and say to ourselves, like, am I letting the will of God play out? 
Remember, what, if we summed up this whole message, it's letting it play out, right? Say it with me, letting it play out. So there, there's this thing that's God's will that he wants to play out in our life, and he's gonna call it this word sanctification. Well, what does that word mean? Sanctification, that's a pretty big word. Here's what it means. Hagiosmos is, is the word that it comes from, the Greek word, sanctification. It's used of separating or separation to God. 1 Corinthians 1.30. I'm going to say these scriptures if you go back and listen so that they're there and you can look them up in your Bible study. But 1 Corinthians 1.30, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Peter 1.2. It's the course of life befitting those separated. So my, my point is, is it's a big theme in the New Testament of what you are separating to. And who is that person? It's who? God. So this word sanctification, Paul says, it's a commandment that we gave you that for the will of God, even your sanctification, and we're about to get to the rest of it here in a minute, but this is a separating to God. So if, follow me here, if we're going to something, then that means we're going what? Away from something else. I'm separating, I'm working, this thing, the will of God is that I am sanctified or I'm set apart. That's sanctify in sanctification. Man, that building's sanctified. That's like another way of saying that place is holy. The church should be what? Sanctified. It should be a sanctuary. See what I mean? See where that word plays out in our worship? It means that there's, there's a purpose here. And I'm not saying that I believe that we can't do anything else in this room. I believe that the new covenant allows for certain things. But the point is, is that like today, what are we having? Church. This is set apart. If somebody wants to come in here and have a card game in the middle of the aisle, I'm going to be like, uh, this isn't the time or the place. Why? This is set apart. We're going what? To God. So that this plays out, and it's God's will that it plays out in your life. So when we're going to the Lord, we're going what? Away from something else. That is that word sanctification. But it also... Uh, has more to it. It's the relationship with God into which men enter by faith in Christ. So, so this thing of faith, give me faith to trust what you'll say. So this, this thing of our faith working in our life is a part of sanctification. Where's this doctrinally? Where does it fit in the Bible? It fits right smack dab where we are in our text that Paul is saying, look, we, we are exercising our faith when we are moving towards the Lord and away from the world, okay? Let's keep moving. Sanctification is also used in the New Testament of the separation of the believer from evil things and ways. This sanctification in God's will for the believer, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, this is a direct quote from just an expository dictionary. This is right here in our text, his purpose in calling him by the gospel. Look at verse number seven. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. The point here is that when we're headed towards the Lord, it is a setting apart. That's what sanctification is. And the gospel working, our, working in our life is that we are going towards the Lord, verse number seven, which means we're going towards holiness. God is not saved you and set you apart to stay the same. And, and really, this movement that we have towards the Lord is this big word called sanctification, text after text after text that talks about it. And we have to, we have to internalize it. And, and I don't mean to disrupt a believer that, that has put their faith and trust in the Lord 
and that has a relationship and, and, and then you think to yourself like, am I really saved because I struggle? Like we're all gonna struggle. This sanctification is a process. It is, it is a path that we're on. You have the ability to pause. You have the ability. I don't believe in sinless perfection. I don't believe that anybody on this earth is going to experience life without sin until the Lord comes back. And, fully, and that's glorification. Fully renovates us and gives us a new body. right? And we're going to talk about that next week. Um, just so you know, the, the next part of the chapter is the second coming of the Lord. So we're going to get into some of that next week. End time prophecy if you're into that what I believe, what I don't believe. So anyway, moving on, just a little teaser, a little teaser for next week. So the point here is that this sanctification, this moving towards, it is a process. It is something that is a struggle, but it shouldn't be an excuse. It shouldn't be a cause or a reason for sin. Maybe some of y'all will hear something for the first time today. That's okay. Pray that the Lord, I pray that the Lord administers it to your heart and shows it to you from the text and not necessarily from just a preacher. So let's, let's dive in here. The first, the first eight verses are talking about something exclusive. It's talking about sexual sin. The, the word here, if we look at verse number three, look at verse number three. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What does he say? That you should, what's the next word? Abstain. Do you know what that word means? Resist, do it, leave it alone, go away from it. I don't have nothing to do it, walk away. Abstain, but remember, but remember, sanctification is going towards the Lord, away from something else. So what he's saying here is that the will of God for your life is to go away from sexual sin and go towards the Lord. And look at the weight that he puts on it, for this is the will of God. If we desire to do what the Lord wants in our life, let me ask you a question. Is there something in your life that means more to you than the will of God? Is there a sin in your life that you have grown so close to that you are so far from him? Paul puts it this way, in this church, in this context, and I would say that it's not far off from today. He would say, sexual sin is a problem. It's an issue. And you must abstain from it. Who, at some point, like, and Sarah and I talk about this often. I'm shooting from the hip here. I'll get back to my outline in a minute. But at some point, we have to decide that the world doesn't, and when I say the world, I mean culture. At some point, we have to decide that the culture shouldn't tell us what to do with our children. At some point, we have to make the decision that we're going to teach our children that the word of God is what we're going to follow. This is the will of God for your life. And that just because everyone says that a big wedding or a fill in the blank, you have to wait until you have your house and your, you know, your savings and all these things. Like At some point, our children are under so much pressure to have all of these things in order that we ignore the one thing that God says don't do and we let them do that because we want to take care of all these other things. So literally we have <laughs> kids entering into relationships without doing it the Lord's way, and then they reverse engineer it and say, well, uh, this union, we're going to dedicate our marriage to the Lord. And the Lord said, if you were to have dedicated it to me, you would have done it the way I told you to do it. 
Look at verse number five, I think it is. Uh, Back up, verse number four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Some commentators believe that that means actually how to acquire a mate. It's the verbiage of how to date, how to court, how to go about relationships. Let it play out. Don't take control. It's, it's high time that the older generation, those of you that have been married a while, step up to the plate and be honest and transparent with your kids. Let them know what the Bible says. And if you made some mistakes, if you didn't do it the way the, the, that the Lord uh, says to do it, confess it and forsake it. But you have a chance with your kids. I'm burdened today for the next generation. And we're just letting them have at it. Boys will be what? Boys will be boys. What a cop out. Okay, sure. And they'll remain boys. They won't be men. And that's what we have. We got a bunch of kids running around. That are in their 30s. Right here. (laughs) They got all these possessions, they got jobs, they have all this stuff, and they have zero inner maturity to handle their relationships. I wonder why. I wonder why. Because they haven't been doing it the Lord's way. It's funny, like, it's not funny, but you get, you get what I'm saying. The point is this. We have to see, we have to, we have to see that it's important for us to do the Lord's will in our life. And that that is infinitely more important than what our desires are. If you're in a covenant marriage relationship, it's infinitely more important for you to please the Lord in your relationship than it is for you to step out because it would please you. You you, you see, this type behavior doesn't stop. You're going to abstain from sexual sin and go towards the Lord. So what what does that mean? It means if you've never abstained from it from the beginning, you think magically you're just going to wake up in marriage and be true to each other? You think magically you're just going to wake up in marriage and be faithful to one another? There's no foundation. You knew from the beginning of time that it wasn't about covenant. It was about lust. Paul is saying, what I am telling you right now is literally you you gotta let things play out the way the Lord wants. You see, there's pagan temples all around. If you wanna go hook up with someone else, there's plenty of other religions out there that allow for it. There's plenty of other things that you can go engage in to make yourself feel good, but we already learned from chapter three that you have been appointed to suffering. God does not save you to let you have free reign to do whatever you wanna do. God saves you to make you holy. He saves you to give you a life worth living, a life that is actually something that will be built upon. But, but you see, we go, no, I'll do this one my way. I, can't, I just can't wait to fill in the blank. It doesn't magically change when you're married. Just look at the divorce rates. You, what we have doesn't happen overnight. You know, and statistically, most children think that all their fun is going to be had before marriage because they're watching parents that have crappy marriages. You know, mom and dad, they ain't slept together in months. 
What's going on with our marriages? What's going on with our lives? Paul gave a context where husband and wives can come together and can love each other and can fulfill desires in a right way that is towards the covenant relationship, not away from it. But our kids and our teens, they they think, well, I better have fun now because I don't want what mom and dad has. I mean, without embarrassing, you know, my wife, what we have now is infinitely better than when we first got married. It's, it's hard to explain. It's really easy, according to the text, but if you just do things the Lord's way, it's amazing how it works. It's, it's just, it's amazing how you literally commit yourself to the Lord, and we did. It wasn't easy in the beginning. It wasn't, uh, you know, like you, you walk through all the same challenges, but his grace is sufficient. And when a marriage is built the way the Lord designed it to be built, it's built to walk through anything. What God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. But what we're seeing over and over and over again are relationships that we just hit. I'm going to fast forward and play. I'll take that part. Rewind. Next. Skip, skip, skip. I'll take that part. We don't know how to let it play out anymore. All we know how to do is control. And we're controlled by things that we should not be controlled. I mean, look at it. It, it, This is specifically about sexual sin, but just take it to any area in our lives. We're undisciplined with our money, right? We spend, 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 instant gratification. And then we wonder why we can't be generous. We wonder why we can't fulfill those, those things that the Lord lays upon our heart because we hit pause and play on something else that wasn't the right time. You could apply this to every part of our lives, right? But specifically, sexual sin. All right, I think it's time I get, yeah, I got to get back to my outline here. They put a clock in back there, and it's messing me all up. Typically, I don't even look at it. Listen, if you're struggling with this thought today, let, let me help you with something. If you're struggling with this, I don't want to leave you struggling. If your heart's beating you up because you got sin in your life, that's not where I want to leave you. Listen, don't we all have struggles? Don't we all have issues? But some of them are infinitely more damaging than others. It's all sin is sin. Okay. You got mad and you said a little cuss word when you bumped your toe on the bed. Compare that to I had an affair with a coworker. Babe, all sin is sin. <laughs> you know, just, I said a cuss word, I had an affair. Explain that to your wife. Do you think she'll say all sin is sin? Really? No. All sin is sin. Lord forgave it, babe. Let's just roll on. Sexual sin is different. The Bible says that fornication is a sin against your body. What does that mean? It means that I have a ton of time to develop this, but when you get saved, think about it. It's an intimate relationship that you are inviting into your life. And there are some children in here, so I'll keep it PG, but when you have the temple of the Holy Ghost that you are inviting in, and the Bible says that fornication is a sin against your body, what you're saying is 
Marriage is clearly between one man and one woman, and that union shows the will of God in my life. And when I step outside of that, it's like saying, God, you're not the only God. I'm going to go worship other gods. I'm going to go engage in other thought processes, other walks of life that don't have to do with the one true God, Yahweh. I'm, I'm inviting into my life other people, other thoughts. That, that's, that's why like polygamous relationships are so bizarre. Right, because we've been created in God's image to have that union that pictures Christ in the church, that union that pictures intimacy of what two becoming one. Christ and the church, the bride and the bridegroom. This relationship is an inviting into an intimate place. And when we step outside of that, what we're saying is, your intimacy, God, is not enough. The will of God, even your sanctification, is that you abstain from sexual sin. So, so literally, it's like going into your prayer closet and saying, God, you're all that I need. God, direct my path. And then going and saying, devil, please give me some direction here. Can, can you tell me what to do? I need some principalities and powers to kind of leverage for me. It would, how many of you would go pray in your closet to Satan and say, I need some help here? But that's what you're doing when you're engaging in physical fornication outside of your relationships that are designed to lead you toward the Lord. Paul saw fornication and sexual sin as a huge deal. He's saying your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So glorify God, what? In your body and in your spirit, which is the Lord's. That's why it's so damaging. We know natively, we know intuitively that it's not okay to step out and cheat on your spouse. It takes a twisted mind and worldview to say that it is. But why is that? Because of how we were created. I know, it's, 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 it's difficult. It's weighty. This word fornication, just, just in case you think it's, you know, let's pick on homosexuality. You know, it's not just, it says literally in the definition, the Greek word pornea. Can you think of the word, a word that we got from that word pornea? Pornography. The word pornography comes from that Greek word fornication, that we should abstain from those sexual sins. So, you know, we, we want to go pick on folks that are outside of the church, but this message is what? To the church, for it, inside. In other words, it's not for the church to go outside the walls and tell everyone who is gay or homosexual or who has a relationship with an animal that you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Paul says, I'm worried about those that know better, that it's the will of God for them to abstain, and they're not abstaining from it. What do you have on your phone? If we were to take your phone and play it up on the screen, I mean, shoot, this is Facebook Live. Let's show the world, why not? Who's first? Let's do it. Mr. Dave, let's throw it up there. And I would hope that we would be confident, but truth of the matter is, if we were to let most teenagers' phones be up on the screen, we'd be like, whoa. And why is that? Because most of their dad's screens are the same way. The apple don't fall far. These kids, these this, oh, okay. So why you need all that time to yourself? Why are you off alone? Why is there no accountability? Why are you deleting all those text messages? This is real stuff. Just, I just want to come to church and worship the Lord. Paul says you can't worship the Lord if you're running after sexual sin. I'm just being real with you. 
if we spent more time nitpicking our content and nitpicking our lives as we want to nitpick people who don't know the Lord about their homosexuality and their sexual sin, I'm, I'm comparing that because it's a hot button for the church. But what should be a hot button for the church is your search history on your phone. Man, it's quiet. I guess rightfully so. It's time that we say the Lord's way is better. I'm going to let this thing play out. But dad, mom, we love each other. We're going to get married. Just let it play out. Go take a cold shower, son. Why don't, why don't you do it the Lord's way? That was a little rough, wasn't it? Sorry. It's real. This is real talk. We, we have a problem. And until the church says, I'm going to actually tell myself no, and I'm going to let this thing play out. You know, you would be shocked at the grace God gives you when you say no to something. When you flee temptation, when you resist it, God's grace will be there to couple you, to walk you through. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, I take it upon you. When you say, no, I don't want that, what happens? You're closer to the Lord and further away from temptation. No, it's, it's a principle of fasting. Some of y'all just, you're, you're another no away. No, you're closer. It's going to be easier next time. No, no. But see, Satan, he lies to you. He takes more of your soul every time you yield to him. Every time you say yes to your sin, you say no to the Lord. Every time you say no to your sin and say yes to the Lord, you're closer to him. You'll experience more grace. It's not a popular message, but it's a needed message. If you're engaged in sexual sin, Paul is saying, abstain from it, don't do it. If you choose to engage in it, know this, I still love you, I'm still praying for you, I'm gonna let brotherly love continue, I'm not gonna stop that. I'm gonna pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you and that he'll lead you to understand that he will bring a life through his will better than you could ever imagine doing it on your own. Okay, I've said enough. Abstain from sexual sin, okay? Is the Lord's will something that matters to you? It should. Verse four, let me just cover this as we go verse, verse by verse. Verse four, because I think that we need to see this. Date right, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. Date right. And I'm gonna say this. If you have found yourself in a snare, in a sin, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to a sexual lifestyle that you shouldn't be addicted to, we are here for you. There are people that have struggled with it, that have beat it, that have, that have submitted to the Lord. Don't suffer in silence. Find an accountability partner. Find someone that you can talk to, that you can say, hey, I need help. Listen, by the, but for the grace of God, so go every last one of us. We've all had those challenges, especially in a in an information tech age, you, you, you young people, you've grown up with it just right there. It's insane. You can be looking at pornography in moments. Don't just, your relationship with the Lord and you following God's will for your life depends on you getting help. You have to view it as a problem. Don't make an exception for your sin and, and get help moving forward. And I, whether you send me an email Call me, let's meet together, let's get you with someone, and let's work through this. If you're a husband, you're not living the life, you're not leading your home 
maybe you need to hear this, if you're looking at pornography, if, you're, if you have other relationships other than the one that you're supposed to have with your wife, it's a problem, you're wrong, and confess it and forsake it and let's repent and move on. There are two other things that, that Paul talks about here um, that I think are really good. So let's go to verse number nine. I think this is so vital in, in terms of thinking about how Paul sandwiches this conversation of abstaining from sexual sin with this last conversation before he gets into end time prophecy. So what we have to understand too, the reason why Paul is talking about the second coming of the Lord is that he shows up on the scene and remember he only has like two to three months before he's run out of town and he tells these folks that the Lord's coming back again. He says, hey, Jesus is coming. Hey, there's this thing called the gospel, Jesus of Nazareth. Check this out. And he gives them the gospel. They receive it. Well, then they think, well, the Lord's coming back. So guess what? Ain't nothing matter. Shoot. I mean, we, it, we're the same way as Americans. Like, we don't need an excuse to be lazy. You know what I'm saying? I heard the Lord's coming back. Maybe it'll be today. Well, maybe I don't have to exert as much energy at my job. You know what I'm saying? Lord's coming back. It don't really matter. Do you see how their logic went? When, when the Lord's coming back, when he's going to right every wrong, they thought to themselves, well, that means that he'll right my wrongs. The same problem, the same complacency, the same comparison that led to you having a life in sexual sin, guess what, will lead to a life of laziness and financial irresponsibility as well. It's not exclusive to one area, is it? You know, typically when we hear about that person that struggled or that's maybe a celebrity or, uh, you know, a famous preacher that falls into sin, it's never just sexual sin, is it? It's always like financial impropriety and sexual sin, and it's a slippery slope. I, when I say simply Jesus, like my point is, is that we should live holistic lives that are honoring to the Lord. There shouldn't be any area of our lives off limits that we don't yield to him and give to him. You understand? <laughs> Y'all are like, yep. I checked out about 10 minutes ago when you started talking about my phone search history. Yep, we done with that. <laughs> it's difficult, I understand that. I'll preach Psalm 23 next week. It'll be a nice fluffy message for you. We'll take a break from Paul's writings. Let's dig in and I'll end with these two points. I think it's three, but you get my, we'll see. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love who? One another. How are we going to get there? How are we going to get past these sort of things? We're not there to condemn each other for our issues. We're there to love each other through them. And I hope every one of you know this. I have problems just like you have problems. And when we have problems together, the only way we're going to get through it is if we what? Love each other through that. There's a difference though. This word is not agape love that we've heard about. The love, this, this salvitic love that comes from the Lord that comes to us. This is Philadelphia or brotherly love. That's what that word means, right? Uh, phileo, if you, if you will. So uh, this love that it's talking about specifically is how we love each other brotherly love. I don't have need that I write unto you. You yourselves are taught of God. You, you know natively that we're supposed to love each other. Look at verse 10. And indeed ye do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase, what's the next uh, three words? 
more and what? More and more. Here's, here's the last few thoughts here. Um, let's do this one. Some, something that increases, verse number 10. Paul is calling them to do more and more. So let's put it in this context. Gospel relationships. Let's, let's understand that sexual sin and those types of relationships are unhealthy, okay? Can we all agree on that with the last few verses? So if the gospel, as Paul has administered it to them, and he's saying, you know this natively, if it's coming to your lives, your relationships are going to look different. And as pertaining you loving each other, I, I want to say it this way. I believe that you should increase what? More and more. Think about our sin. I'm going to use this illustration and then we'll move on from it. Think about when you chose to give in to that wrong relationship or when you chose to give in to that temptation that led to sexual sin. Doesn't it always start small and then it increases? What you saw for a moment, next time is a couple minutes. Next time you're going down the rabbit hole. What was a smile led to a conversation. You, you feel me? Paul is saying the reverse should be true. If you, if you take sin and, and the pleasure of sin for a season, understand that the devil uses that gravitational pull in sin to pull you in. The same thing happens, watch this, in our relationships in the gospel. They should increase more and more and more. And so here's my point. In your heart, if you're holding back, don't. Gospel relationships will always push for more. Gospel relationships will always push for more. And here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. If we are willing to let temptation push us for more. Oh, I want more. Let's keep going. I like the way she talked. I like the look of that thing, right? It pushes, it carries us. Paul is saying, if you'll just give in to the relationship of the Lord and let it play out, guess what? It will be more and more and more and more. And, and brotherly love is something that literally will come natural to you. But the thing is, you gotta abstain from fornication. If we will just try it, I just want to whet your appetite for actually living gospel relationships rightly. I actually saying that I don't need to flirt. I don't need to have these sexual aspects in my relationship. I literally can engage in gospel relationships with my brothers and sisters, with people outside, and I can give more and more and more. Why? Because I know that God gave me more and he gave me more and I know he paid the price, so there's plenty of equity, there's plenty of riches to pull from. If I, if I go through a hard time, maybe if I go through a season where someone does me wrong, guess what? I can give more and more because I know from the place I'm pulling from. Listen, if the devil can use temptation, if he can keep drawing you more and more, then we can let the gospel pull us more and more and more in the right relationships. What I'm saying to you is Maybe you've never experienced the gravitational pull of gospel brotherly love. Oh, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying you've given into some things that are keeping you from the real thing that when you do more and more and more and more of, 
you will be blown away at what God does with those relationships. When we teach our children worldly advantages in their relationships, we're doing them a disservice. When we teach our children how to love with the gospel, we're giving them tools for their entire life to live the will of God. We need to search ourselves. Are we doing love and relationships the right way? Obviously, I could spend like a whole, like maybe series on that, but we don't have time. Gospel relationships will always push for more and more. So enough in the church of saying, he's always wanting more. It's always something else. Well, your sin asks a lot of you too. <laughs> so, so why don't we stop saying that the church is so demanding and these relationships are so demanding. Why don't you just quit controlling and let what? Let it play out. Here's the next thing. Verse 12, look at it. Verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, that ye may have lack of nothing. I'm going to hit you here because this is just a, this is a free one. Uh, look at the, the verse right before verse 12. And that ye study to be what? Quiet. And do your own business. And to work with your own hands. As we, there's that word again, commanded you. Here, so gospel relationships will always push for more. Gospel relationships will always pay it forward. Paul said this, you think because I said the Lord's coming back, you can quit your job. That ain't the case. American, I mean, we are like the most entitled group of people, aren't we? <laughs> this election just shows it. The only place left in America for us to show that we actually can be compassionate human beings is the church. That's really it, which has been God's plan from the beginning. Gospel relationships always pay it forward. If you're always out to get, if you're always looking for the edge, you're missing the point of a gospel relationship. You're missing the point. Paul said, I want you to be taken advantage of. I want you to increase more and more and more. And then Paul says, for the love, you're, you're literally using the fact that the Lord's coming back to be lazy. What does he say? Work with your hands. The culture here is the Gentile culture, the Greek culture, looked at manual labor as something for only slaves to do. But the Jewish community looked at their craft with their hands as something that gave them life. Right? So Paul is saying, take a lesson from my culture here. Go use your hands. Go work your job. The gospel relationships always pay it forward. Look, if Jesus paid it all, why are we worried about every nickel we lose to somebody else? Why are we carrying that stinginess into our jobs and into our workplace? Into our marriage? I'm blown away at how husbands and wives handle their finances. It's just so like, ugh, it's cringy. Like literally is all you have in this life, the, the, the couple dollars that the Lord has allowed us to steward? Gospel relationships, pay it forward. Here's what we realize. The church is built, Paul, Paul was, uh, Paul was using this church. He was explaining to them, look, if you'll live selflessly, the Lord will use you to build his kingdom. Just, just let it play out. Some of you, y'all got the controller and you're like, okay, pa, pa, play, I'll do that. No, not that. Gosh, look at all these jobs in the church. Pastor Matt Cray, what are we doing? Play, fast forward. 
I'll catch you in the next chapter. Skip. Y'all let it play out. Just let it play out. And here's, here's the last thing. Verse number 12. Gospel relationships will always provide a path for the lost. Verse number 12, it says this. That ye may walk honestly towards them that are what? Without. Those are the people that are outside the church. You know what all this is for? You know what pleases the Lord to see a sinner come to repentance? You know what pleases the Lord to see someone come to a saving knowledge of his grace? Christians should be the hardest working people on the face of the planet. We should be the most honest people on the face of the planet. We should have more purpose in our work and in our life because we know what comes from the fruit of our labor. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're bringing purpose into your life when you choose to live out gospel relationships. When the world sees you be taken advantage of and pay it forward, watch, when the world sees you be generous without, out of not just your abundance, but out of your need, you know, that's not something worldly people do. That's not something lost people do. Listen, what we should be doing is living this way for those that are without. Do you understand? Let's stop hollering at the people that are without. Let's stop yelling at people that don't believe the way we believe to act the way we believe and to act the way we know we should be acting. Let's just live honestly. Let's just live out love to those people that are on the outside of the walls of these church and, and let them know that they're loved and valued just as much as you're loved and valued to the Lord. That's how we reach people. Why are our churches declining and not increasing? Because that's just a bunch of judgmental old farts. Like, who wants to go there? Everybody should want to come here because they know this is where they find love. This is where they find purpose. This is where, watch this, ooh, this is where they find people that are letting it play out. This is where they find people that are actually doing what they're saying. This is where they find people that are honest. This is where they find people that are faithful to their spouses. This is where they find people that control their mouths, that control their thoughts. This is where they find people, watch this, that are real. Every head bowed, every eye closed.